Today's podcast is sponsored by Kauri. That's K-A-U-R-I-W-I-N-E dot com. Just like the native New Zealand wood. Uh, please go to kauriwine.com and click on either New Zealand or Australia and find out why they specialize in organic yeasts and nutrients. They're also there for your any little needs you help in the cellar. they got some free videos up on YouTube. Um, these are really great for professionals and for amateurs, uh, guys who are dipping your toe in some home winemaking maybe, uh, but also some really important stuff like fixing barrel repairs, how to test for MLF viability and things like that. So just visit their YouTube page, which is just Kari Wine on YouTube. And again, visit kariwine.com. That's K-A-U-R-I wine.com. Just pick either New Zealand or Australia and you're on your way. We're also sponsored by Decibel Wines. The Testify is out and it's going. We uh, a bit less than last week. Uh, that helps been helped out by a few more restaurants and wine shop orders. And a few people from the U.S. have started to order, which has been great. Great to get that wine over there ahead of uh, any distribution shipments, which will be very, very minimal. Probably won't make it outside of Manhattan, maybe a few cases to Philly. So hop on that, guys. But for you, the difference is you use the promo code DBPODCAST up on decibelwines.com, and you get 10% off your first order. So just go to decibelwines.com and click on your flag for your country. We're delivering all over the world now. So that's New Zealand, Australia, the U.S., EU. That's all over the EU, Singapore, Japan, Hong Kong, and of course the UK. Brexiters, don't fear, I can still ship you wine. Just visit decibelwines.com and shop Decibel Wines. We're real excited about this, guys. It testifies going really well, and people are digging it. So uh, pretty easy. Okay, take it away, Willie D. As we continue with our little mini-series with this season within a season of vintage stories, the three episodes I recorded in Australia, except this episode I tagged on a little extra because it's sort of a vermouth episode. I had this one uh, sort of 20-minute conversation with Chris Reed in the can I was waiting to use, just wasn't quite a long enough one to do a whole episode with, but I wanted to check in with uh, what was up with Chris uh, for any of you guys who can go all the way back to episode one, you can hear Chris Reed's whole story. But first, we start off with a great conversation with Rebecca Lines. Yes, Rebecca Lines. And Hamish Ingham, who own uh, Banksy and Barangaroo, which is a uh, you know, very sort of corporate new area, but also really cool. Tons of great restaurants right on the water. There's boats. It's gorgeous. It's an awesome spot. And those guys have owned restaurants all over Sydney for years. This is their latest venture, a very exciting spot. It was boom, and we went back in for lunch. Uh, well, I, lunch was picking up as I left after recording this podcast. I went back in for dinner the following night, and it was just packed. Uh, we talk a lot about the vermouth scene and how Rebecca's excited about that. We also talk a lot about Australian food, beef, things like that uh, with Hamish, who is clearly great at what he does. I saw him in action 
when I pop by on Wednesday night. And yeah, exciting place. We talk about Sydney a lot and the history of Sydney. Like any great city, it's um, a place that's evolving constantly. I'm sure if you talk to people, including my partner who lived there a while ago, she'll say, oh, it's not like it used to be. And I'm sure people there who live there now will say uh, 10 years from now that it's not like uh, it used to be. So like any great city, it's ever evolving, changing, booming international immigrants. Uh, People have lived there a long time. It's got great history. It's really, really vibrant, great place to visit. And so it was great to be able to record these three podcasts there. And I really appreciate Rebecca and Hamish for doing this and taking time out of their day. You'll notice the sound is, you know, there's a hum in the background, basically, of the restaurant just getting going for lunch service. So they they basically they took time out of their morning getting ready to have a, a chat with me. Uh, so 40 minutes was great that they were able to uh, to give me that 40 minutes. So I really appreciate that. Uh, and another reason why it was an opportunity to stick on this extra 20 minutes with Chris Reed on the end. And they sort of, you know, everybody's talking about vermouth. So it's the hip new thing, guys. Go out and get a vermouth and tonic or a vermouth and soda or a Negroni or something at the end. Uh, not that Negroni's the hippest new thing, but uh, there's a lot of craft gin and a lot of craft vermouth out these days. Go out and you know start exploring, especially if you're a winemaker. You know, those things are uh, particularly vermouth is tied into what we do. I'm surprised there is a more New Zealand vermouths. Uh, so anyway, this is my conversation with uh, Rebecca and Hamish, and I'll check back in with you guys in a second. question where is what mount what uh, mount gambia so it's, uh, gambia. it's on the great australian bite which is in south australia so yep. it's kind of where which we call the great australian bite looks like a shark's bitten some of australia oh yeah that yeah. little yeah, yeah sure so that's where i'm from i was born there and then I, I basically lived in sydney all my life yeah so got tired of the, the well i moved when i was about two i believe so i was just born there then my family relocated to sydney yep. I, I grew up in sydney so you can say i'm a sydney side Sydney boy. And you're an Auckland gal? I am an Auckland girl, although I probably wouldn't call myself an Auckland girl now. Yeah. I feel probably more at home here. How long so have you been in Sydney? Um, 15 years, mm-hmm. I think. About 15 years. 14 years, 2004 I arrived. So. Yeah, and I kind of just read on the website quickly that you're sort of uh, been working in the industry for a while here in Sydney. and. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been in hospitality since I was 18, yeah. 17, actually, <laughs> sneakily. I yeah, wasn't sorry. really supposed to be working. I did a bit of that yeah. myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, uh, um, Hamish and I met at a restaurant that he was the chef at. Um, and then, yeah, a year later we had a child. <laughs> yeah. Just things work that way exactly. sometimes. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so this is pretty cool because I get to walk into this completely innocent and naive, and then I walk in on this amazing location you have here. And <laughs> it's a pretty well, amazing. I didn't have time to get beautiful. intimidated, yeah. you know. And <laughs> like, wow, this place is awesome. But uh, uh, how long was it a dream to have a vermouth bar? I mean, that's kind of how it's 
marketed, right? Yeah. Um, it wasn't really a dream. We kind of got the site, and I don't know. It just we had kind to of decide what to do with fell it. Fell into yeah. place, really. Yeah. I think I'd been making cocktails for quite some time, and there was a lot of Australian um, vermouths kind of happening. So um, bespoke kind of, you know. Um, vermouth and I kept looking and, and gin you know, as well too yeah but it was really I think gin was very popular and everyone knows what that is but I think I kept seeing these really great vermouth and even out of America and stuff and no one was using them like no one was yeah, just yeah. serving them like they should be served which is just me or on ice yeah um, so I kept kind of using them going I don't understand why we're not just drinking these instead of mixing them away into a I've been, drink. I've been drinking a lot lately because uh, that Pinot that I gave you from Martinborough, my buddy makes some vermouth out of Martinborough. Oh, okay. Called Reed and Reed. He makes some gin as well. I think he's in Australia. But yeah, right. uh, we'll have to, maybe I should have brought a bottle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. why did you bring me the vermouth? <laughs> but he's, he's just made a, uh, a red vermouth as well. Yes. Oh, and nice. that's like, just fl flew out the door because of Negroni and everything. Yeah, you know? that's right. So Is it becoming popular in New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, he's doing, I think his business is doing really well, yeah. and it's really on an uptick, and uh, he's actually now with the same distributor as me, so, in New right. Zealand, and he's, I think he goes to the UK, and Japan, and Australia yeah. as well, um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I would say you guys are really lucky, Sydney and Australia overall reminds me a little more of, not even parts of America, mostly you know, San Francisco, mm. yeah. New York, very, and very uptrend yeah. and very uh, progressive. And um, certainly Manhattan competes with that. Parts of Philadelphia and, Ball you know, there's pockets. Yeah. And you'd yeah. be surprised, Charleston, South Carolina, and places are, are their pockets. But uh, I think Australia overall is way ahead on the curve of, right. you know, uh, wines. You know, it's the yeah. rosé thing happened right. here way before everywhere else. It's yes. just the trends yeah. are seem to be so... Um, New Zealand is a little farther behind. Yeah, you know, I, did I did get a few of the New Zealand winemakers to, I was like, you need to make vermouth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, because yeah. it will happen in New yeah. Zealand and yeah. it's happened to you. you know, I'm like, you need to get them into bars now. Yeah, so, so. He's, he's on that, uh, yeah. the head of that curve with it. And I, in fact, he has his own Pinot vineyard that he makes some of the red vermouth from. Yes. But uh, he, uh, he doesn't have any white fruit, so I was thinking... Oh, maybe I can help you out oh, there, yeah, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> Without creating another wine, because I tend to get a little carried away, and I've got, I think, seven wines now. And yeah, yeah, wow. So that's yeah. a little little bit too much. Though it's all really small production. But anyway, uh, yeah, so how long have you guys been open here? Two years. Two years, this October. October. And the food concept? The food concept is modern Australian with yeah. a, a Mediterranean botanical influence. So like, taking Keeps all the things challenging for you? Yeah, taking all the botanicals, which are in vermouth, essentially, and trying to use uh, native Australian uh, botanicals, which we have, a, you know, an abundance of here. Sure. Which is amazing, yeah. And obviously, and vermouth, yeah, yeah, vermouth, vermouth goes with yeah. food. You know, <laughs> mussels and vermouth is a classic yeah. French dish, so there's plenty, plenty to work with. You know, vermouth and oysters is another classic. Sure. So and cocktails as well. Yeah, exactly. And looks like a few wines are here as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, well, yeah, about 180, I think. It's not massive, but so it's, yeah. having worked in the industry for a long time, it's got to be pretty awesome to be like, oh, now I get to choose everything I want and kind of design it the way you want to do it. Yeah, uh, we had a restaurant before this as well. So we have had a, and we consulted for um, a hotel group as well. So I guess we've had three, three restaurants. Yeah, restaurants. Yeah. And currently just this one. Just currently just this yeah. one. All the focus is here. Yeah. Yep. Looks like it'll keep you busy. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a machine. So yeah. um, it's officially 206 seats. Uh, 
but a lot of those are drinking seats, so yeah, it's it can yeah it can pretty it can get pretty busy down here. It's a very busy area. Um, it's a very new area. Do you, do you know the area in terms of it used to just be nothing here? There How was, long ago was nothing here? Uh, it would have been four years ago. Yep. Four to five years ago, there was basically yeah. used to be a. I did a quick trip to Sydney eight years ago or something. Yeah, maybe seven years ago, and then I've only I've only in the last year or so have I come back. But I have noticed, you know, just building up. Yeah. Around so this was all that. just. Um, uh, Docklands, Docklands sh- like shipping, shipping containers. Yeah. What do we need that stuff for? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's been moved, moved to more botany way, so which yeah. is near the airport. Yeah. Um, so this is all reclaimed land. So basically we're sitting on the water right now. It used to be 100, 150 metres back. And you didn't have an earthquake like we had in no. Napier to no. reclaim land. No, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll hopefully, we'll just touch wood on that. It doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe a wrong yeah. analogy to use yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so you said year? How long? Two years. Two, two years. October. We Pretty much everything around here opened two years ago. So this waterfront strip of, of restaurants along, along the strip here um, all opened around October. Um, the towers have same thing those three towers up yeah, there, the there's three. about 30,000 people it's convenient working in there so um, yeah so it's a pretty busy area the ferries as well the ferries opened up about um, last year, last year so I think I came in on one of those ferries last in week. November yes yeah. I yeah. came in and uh, was it from is that they come in from North Sydney yeah, yeah, they come from yeah. North Sydney, so yeah. I came in from North Sydney and uh, I was a little surprised with how many waves there were. Uh, oh, yeah, on, yeah, a, on a rough, a rough choppy day. <laughs> Holy there, cow! I was like, I was then, like looking yeah. around. I was like, is this normal guys? Uh, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah. luckily, I didn't have much to eat or anything. Oh but my it was, gosh. Yeah. And so yeah, actually, I was. I did come up through here and met a friend and went it's out a, on the town. It's a very beautiful ferry ride. It was gorgeous, <laughs> yeah, but it was but like you obviously weren't on a great day. No, no, it was pretty day. random. But no, the, the, everybody on the boat was pretty like, oh, <laughs> you know. But uh, I guess you might be ready for a drink when you come off yeah, one of those. Yeah, exactly. No, on a beautiful day, it's a really lovely ferry ride. It literally goes out past you know Luna Park under and the under Bridge. the Harbour Bridge, and you know you've got the Sydney Opera House, and it's a pretty magical ferry ride. So my partner <laughs> lived here for about four years, and uh, obviously now we live in Hawke's Bay. We came back to visit a bunch of her friends, uh, I think it was about two years ago, and all the King's Cross legal stuff was going yeah, on, and yeah, it was a little bit of a you know, shake and settle for the industry. and everybody. It seemed to me at that time it was a bit of a reset, and like there was not the greatest feeling going on then, no. and everybody didn't know what to do, but I was like, well, I think you guys are going to be okay, but... Unfortunately, the things crossed <coughs> pretty much dead. It yeah. is dead. It's yeah. Unfortunately, it's finished. Yeah. Essentially, it's, it's so. What, what happened there? Let's give me the, the <coughs> shortish, longish oh, story. It, it's a lockout laws. So the lockout laws came into place, which is 1:30. You can't. It's locked out or locked in, but yeah. strangely, you can't drink though. Um, can't drink out in the street. Is that what you used to? No, you can't. So no, what, no, you what can't used to happen? Out. It's, there's you nothing. Oh, you couldn't. There was just. There's nothing open essentially. They decided uh, it was like right, one thirty. That's it. You get locked so out. How, how bad did it get? What was going on? I mean. um, it's. It has started killed. From a, it started from one incident, of a, which they, we call the the one the the coward punch essentially. So there was a. Where was it? I think it was in well, Kings Cross. There was one in Kings Cross. Yeah. Yeah, and but it's ridiculous because that happened at 9 p.m. That wasn't, mm. you know what I mean. And he wasn't in any of the clubs no. anyway. 
So. But what? It was just like a big brawl or something? No, no. it was just a one punch. So the, guy, one, the yeah. guy died. He oh. did die. Um, yeah, but it was. Yeah, it kind of. Last straw, the straw that broke the camel's yeah, back. Yeah, I think they were making an example of that. And to they were looking for an excuse to. Exactly. Shut down the exactly. I think. Sh yeah, like, uh, and redevelop it. <laughs> like um, Midtown Manhattan used to be when I was a kid. Like. Yeah. It was all strip joints and yeah, right. you know really rough and wow. scary you know yeah. and and like that's where you copped your drugs and everything and yeah. then you go there now and it's disney world yeah. you know yeah. it's it's so i wonder yeah yeah and, uh, and they'll trying to do the same thing. it's quite sad really it's like people come to see king's cross and now you, you go yeah no don't don't go to king's cross there's nothing there well the next area is Potts point where there's this vibrant restaurant scene so that it's kind of trying to but that was a area. bit more rough tumble kind of yeah, fun yeah, bar hopping. Oh, originally, yeah, yeah. originally yeah. it was, yeah. Now it's not. No, that's <laughs> what I mean. I know it's all changed. Yeah. But, um, and, but that sort of had, uh, you know, reverberations for the industry, you think, as well? Oh, very, a lot of places shut down. Yeah. So, um, and then now they're trying to, now you've got government going, like, trying to get people to stay open late because it's it really did kill the night mm. economy. Yeah. It's a crazy move. It's like, it's a, you know, it's Sydney. Yeah, exactly. You're in <laughs> the city. Or anywhere, anywhere else in the world, you can go out. Yeah, well, that's and get a meal, get a you know, at 11, 12, 1, yeah. get a drink. Four. Four. Yeah. yeah exactly. In, in New York, in New York, that's York yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, not uh, here, unfortunately. Yeah, it's well, you come to Hawks Bay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's more like <laughs> we have, we have uh, rush hour right. from five to five yeah. fifteen, <laughs> and, and then it then gets it's done. pretty quiet yeah. after that. Um, I. We always joke around. I pull out. We live on a vineyard, and you pull out. And if there's like my daughter, she's three. She said it to me the other day. There was two cars that went by, and I hear in her car seat, in the back seat, she goes, "Oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cars." You know, was that a bird? It was yeah. a bird. Oh man. Sorry. That's all right. Just got such a fright then. <laughs> Where was that? Above us? <laughs> yep. I was trying to get in on the act. Yeah. Oh, well, it was interesting. <laughs> anyway, we think three cars is a lot of traffic where yeah. we are, but um. Uh, well, that's good. So, uh, what else? No, they, three, three, three cars here is not, not traffic, that's for no. sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's some sort of a study where I think depending on how fast you walk, they can tell how many people live in your city. Huh. Yeah, right. And I just uh, realized I needed to raise my game when yeah, I got when out you of got there. Yeah, when you got here, yeah, yeah. I was like kind of moseyed out <laughs> of the Four Seasons after I set up the, for the event, and then I was just like, ah, oh, shit, I need to step my game yeah. up, you know? I was like, if people <laughs> yeah. are walking around me and everything, I was like, all right, back into, into back Philly. Back into city mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. and, and just got my strut on. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, think, I think it's also if you stand on the wrong side of the um, escalator, I then I still yeah. do that. I still get on the wrong side of the car sometimes. Yeah. yeah, that's always when you know somebody's not from city. You're like, you're not from the city. Yeah. There's the fast lane you're in. <laughs> you're just standing. Get out there. of the way! Exactly. I heard a couple. The fuck out! You know, and from some of the tradies, you <laughs> yeah. know, yelling at like an Uber driver and stuff. I you know. know. George yeah, Street is so aggressive. bad right now. Yeah. Especially with all the trains. It's been going for like two years. Oh it yeah, it's ridiculous. Like. Yeah. It's probably going to go for another two. What are they yeah. actually doing? I don't know. Putting in a tram line. Ah, is that why I saw? I saw a poor lonely woman sitting in a booth next to a construction stand that said, "Ask me about the tram line." Oh, exactly. And I was like, uh, and nobody wants to talk to her. No, exactly. <laughs> no, it's been going for years. The slowest tram line. Uh, it's yeah, and they, I can't see how. I mean, I don't get it. I don't. Did, I don't understand if they're even working because it's taken even an hour area in Surrey Hills. 
there's this one little pocket, like a tiny little piece of it, and it's been going for two years, and they still, it's like, there's nothing happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the big dig in Boston, I think it was nine years. Far out. And geez. it was just for a highway to basically go kind of, kind of under the city. But it's great now. Yeah. yeah. You know, just yeah. took a while. Yeah. It took nine years of traffic. But, uh, and what, what is this technically called, this neighborhood we're in? So this is Barungaroo. 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 That sounds really Australian. Yeah. Exactly. Know. So Barungaroo, she was um, the wife of, wife of Benelong. Yeah, that's right. The wife of Benelong. So an Aboriginal um, gentleman who was very well known. So Benelong obviously is where the opera house is. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, yeah, she was pretty, um, she was pretty staunch lady, I believe. Um, so yeah, she's the wife of Benelong, so it's the area. They named the, the area. Um, yeah. I like, are there still new names coming up in Sydney for an area? Seems like there's so much going on. I don't on. know that there's too many new uh, areas. Like this is pretty, like well, you said this was reclaimed, but did it have the name before it was sure, reclaimed? To be honest. Mm, no, Do you know what it was, it was called? Part of, would have been part of. Uh, would have been part of Benelong, really, wouldn't it? It was part of the city, so it was Sydney CBD. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. Don't if it, it didn't been actually a name. have a name, no. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's literally the yeah. You guys so are cutting edge. I know. Actually, interestingly, people still don't really know the area know well that, yeah. yeah so they do connect it to the casino it had some bad press <laughs> in the, the beginning yeah this tower yes which has yeah. not actually happened it's not, yet. It's not built for another six years which is down further um but there's a lot of hoo-ha in the beginning that uh, there's going to be this huge casino there it's actually a hotel with a high roller room on top so there's yeah. a lot of bad press around that and what they're trying to do down there and everyone associates barangaroo with the casino ah. so Slowly so it's up changing. to you guys to change that. Yeah, it is changing it's definitely. It's changing yeah. definitely. 100%. But yeah. I, I, I regularly kind of, I mean, people would even say, oh, so does the casino own your place? <laughs> you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, it's not even a casino yet. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely, a, they don't realize how big the area is. Yeah. And this is actually Barangaroo South. So uh-huh. there's, yeah. Wow. There's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, so there's yeah. the headlands, which is Barangaroo headlands. And then you've got, um, I think, the Bing Barangaroo Central, which is where this hotel and um, high roller casino is going, uh, and then this is Barangaroo South. So people definitely thought it was a quite a small area, mm. and that it was just just one building. Uh, yeah, like thing. just yeah. a casino happening. But they're starting to see actually it's, it's new, more just a new that. part of the yeah. city. Yeah. And what's going on? This you know, as far as uh, you guys been working in the industry for quite a while, as far as the big trends in the city, and uh, I mean, again, I'm coming at this pretty. Yeah. In a sense, I just <coughs> see, you know, it seems thriving and, mm. and exciting. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still... Um, Both food-wise and drink-wise, yes. you know? Uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's still, th- yeah, there's the rapid, things rapidly opening. <laughs> and rapidly um, and closing. Rapidly closing. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's not an easy time for the industry, but at the same time, we've probably got more than we've ever had. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, and then lots of sort of different yeah. styles. Well, the of Sydney places CBD well. is kind of changing as well. It used to be kind of quite dead at night time, and it was all the surrounding suburbs that were vibrant with the small little restaurants that you could go to. And now it's kind of totally the opposite. It's changed. The, C- the CBD is kind of vibrant again, uh, and all the suburbs are kind of losing quite their again, mojo. Yeah. yeah. So Mel- Melbourne, I love going to Melbourne because it's kind of 
you go into the CBD, yeah, it's, it's open, yeah. it's vibrant, and Sydney never used to have that, and now I believe it's kind of more like that now. It happened after global financial crisis, so when global financial crisis happened, what, what kind of the flow-on effect was that a lot of the big, like a lot of fine diners, Sydney was kind of known for fine diners and not much else, um, and a lot of those fine diners, unless they were at the top of the game, kind of fell by the wayside and yeah. a lot of them closed. And what we saw after that was a lot more casual dining coming up through Probably that's a, a generation thing too. It's a generation mm. thing yeah, as younger well. Younger people, you know, even people that don't necessarily mm. make lots and lots of money like to go out and at yeah. least get a drink yeah. and yeah. then maybe go back to the burbs or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I think it was sort of always coming. Um, but what did happen is you started to see people gravitate towards the city because that's where kind of money was um, in terms of kind of getting that lunch trade and those sorts of things. So you started to see people kind of move to where there was still being money being spent. Um, and so it started to change the city because people started to move like good restaurants sort of kind of, you know, and casual restaurants and lots of different style of restaurants started to move into the city. So it definitely changed, yeah, definitely changed. the... Um, the city and it changed what happened was it then sort of flowed on to that the where people used to go into sort of some of the suburbs that made them harder. raise their game a little bit too is it no they've they, it's it yeah i think it's harder in those areas yeah no but i'm saying it's made them raise their game like they had to get better because people weren't necessarily going back there to just oh we'll just go back yeah to there's just not as many i think just, it used to be that there'd be areas that it were pockets of kind of dining areas and yeah. that's dropped away a little bit now so yeah with most people kind of heading towards the city. Um, and obviously you still find really great neighborhood restaurants, but as you say, it's usually like a couple that yeah, yeah are really good at what they do in that area. Um, nice. And food-wise, you know, when I first moved to New Zealand, and again, they're probably a bit behind on a few things, it was, you know, you say mm. modern Australian. Yeah. I'm assuming at some point, like modern New Zealand, it was a lot of froth and liter oh, yeah. literally foams, yeah. foams and uh, you know, that was sort of. I think I was on the tail end of that. Uh, I think there's less and less of that now. I don't. I don't really see much of that anymore at all in, in no. Sydney. It's even for a few years more. Yeah, I, I would time. say the same about long time, yeah. New Zealand as well. But um, is there? Uh, I guess know? here it's kind of about the produce, really. Yeah. It's all about the produce and keeping it simple. A lot of restaurants are going for a, the, a sharing kind of concept. Fish, obviously, but yeah, fish. Oh. Well, fish is huge in uh, Sydney, Australia, because we have, you know, we have amazing seafood. Yeah, everybody lives near the water. Yeah, everyone lives near the water. Can't live we in the middle. So. Yeah, we have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's where we get our, our meat from. Yeah, our kangaroo. And, and, and it's kangaroo, and then Kangaroos. which I really like actually. I yeah. do too. It's it's a bit of a hard sell still, I believe. But, uh, a lot of people I don't like it. to eat what's on the coat of arms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's truly that's what they say. They yeah. say I can't eat that; it's on the coat of arms. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but most oh. most kangaroo dishes I've put on, people have enjoyed. They really have. Yeah. I had a raw carpaccio of kangaroo, and that sold really, really well when we first had. Yeah, it does. Do you yeah. try to like just put roux or something? That, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. Try well, to lure them in a little yeah. more easier. I mean, or maybe wanna, that's too cute. I don't people know. want to know where it's from. I guess the kangaroo that I was getting was very sustainable. Uh, each kangaroo uh, was targeted especially for young male kangaroos, uh, and they were all shot in the head, uh, and they were hung by both legs. A lot of the kangaroo for a long time was kind of hung by one leg, and the blood wouldn't come out properly, and they, oh weren't, yeah. they weren't treated properly. Um, but now there's a lot of people are more educated, um, 
and you can even track it. You would, uh, each kangaroo, you know where it was shot, like the GPS coordinates, you know who shot it. And where, you know, what time. where's the areas mostly? That it's uh, mostly from? kind of the triangle of Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia. That little triangle where they all meet. That's that's a big area for the eastern grey kangaroo. Yes, uh, it's a certain type so of kangaroo yeah. as well. There, yeah. Some I mean, you don't want to eat. There's some you don't want to. Oh, they all have different flavor profiles. Uh, some are tougher than others, but yeah, I think the young male is the. Is they don't want to shoot the females for obvious reasons. They mm. need to reproduce, um, but the males seem to have the young males seem to have a, the best flavor profile. It's a hard. It's not an easy. It's not no. an easy meat really because it's very lean. So people kind of like it because it's lean, but at the same time, it's not really a great cooking. To cook, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it has yeah. to be very rare. So it's either, yeah. The so tail is good for braising. You can yeah. braise the tail for a long time. It's kind of like an oxtail almost. Yeah. So yeah. that's really beautiful. Um, but the, yeah, all the other cuts, you really need to cook it. Yeah. Rare, or, or medium or rare. Or or like venison. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, New Zealand venison's yeah. probably about as lean as yeah, the meat same. as I had. Exactly I just, we same, just, yeah. I got a buddy who, a vineyard manager lives up the road who hunts and yeah. dives and has crayfish traps. Yeah, He's right. a good friend to have. Wow, <laughs> exactly. great friend to have. So I, uh, he just had, uh, we just had some backstrap uh, venison the other day. It was, it was amazing, just rare, just cooked at home, salt, yeah, pepper, yeah. that was it, you yeah, know? Right. Nice. And, uh, but so lean, you yeah. know what I mean? Like you could see, I tried to cook it a little well for my daughter, um, yeah, but it was, uh, we were tough. like, yeah, you yeah. keep that bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then beef uh, in uh, Australian beef is sort of it's very very good. Yeah, we there's a lot of good beef coming from Tasmania at the moment. Okay. Uh, I guess Tasmania is usually all very lush and green. Yeah, yeah. Most of Australia is in drought right now, so it's pretty pretty, yeah, it's pretty dire. Bad, actually. Um, but Tasmania always escapes that. It does have it does have its dry spells, but so more, the it's more like a New Zealand the New uh, climate. The, the Australian dollar isn't you know. Uh, beholden to the dairy industry like uh, it is in New Zealand. Uh, oh, I know, much. New Zealand uh, is huge, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah. if we have droughts, you'll see yeah, the New Zealand dollar start to drop right. because dairy is affected yeah. that much, yeah. Yeah. Wow. which is really good for somebody who exports wine to other countries. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and we like drought in the in the wine industry, but we, we also like our dairy guys to buy our wines too. So yes, there's exactly. a fine line. There's a fine, fine line, line. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like to dance that. No, the well. drought here is actually really bad at yeah, the moment. It's so it's terrible. It's Probably one I of wasn't the worst. aware of that. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the worst droughts that they've Been seen. It hasn't rained in a lot of areas for 18 months. Wow. Yeah. So they're getting pretty desperate. Like they, yeah, it's very desperate. They, you know, any any kind of bore water or I anything like there that they had has gone pretty much. So it's a pretty pretty tough time for the farmers right now. Mm. So in that area, in the areas that we've, yeah. Well, it's kind of New South New Wales. South Wales. It goes up to Queensland, Queensland as well, yeah. which is most affected. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, kind of west, west New South Wales. We have some sort of early days of water issues in New Zealand, in Hawke's Bay. But like That's we crazy, have so like New much Zealand water. Living. No, we have enough, but yeah. it's like, you know, there's some conservation orders being put in and yeah, it's right. a bit controversial. And, you know, there's enough water and water's free and, you know, yeah. but mm. it's, you know, they, uh, it's all about fish and game. And they're just lawyered up years ago and they just yeah. got their shit together like amazingly. And they want to, it's sort of ironic in that, you know, the people who, you know, there's seemingly enough water and enough groundwater, but the people that, um, you know, the wine industry is obviously affected too, but the fishing game is basically millionaires who go trout fishing and stuff, yeah. and, but yeah. they've just, 
they got their they got so well their case is so well put out there and of course nobody wants to go against the environment so everybody's like yeah i think but do we want to let's take this slow yeah, right. and then there's some wine you know like the giblet gravels where i get my malbec from yep. it's very uh you know affected by this one river the naroa river uh and there's there's it's pretty clear that you know some of the groundwater comes from that river but yes. it's but the models are just you know they're just models like nobody really knows there's no su actual scientific hard evidence of where the, the water water's comes from. Yeah, coming right. from uh but yeah, it's scary but not that scary no, not 18 months of yeah, yeah, drought yeah, scary yeah. you know any wine regions affected by that or no uh, i don't think so no, it's oh, I don't th hunter would be close yes hunter closest closest area. i always hear it rains a lot in hunter though right yeah, at least I during harvest yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, during harvest it rains exactly yeah. ruin everything yeah. Yeah. yeah no i don't know i don't know but the, the closest area would be the hunter yeah otherwise there's no real wine regions out that out, out west and what are your favorite wine regions wines from australia another sort of innocent thing i come at uh yeah. i'm actually I'm talking to mike benny tomorrow yeah and uh it's really good because i am you know a bit green to oh, aussie great. wine yeah. and yeah. i'm looking to be schooled up i have some big questions for him but my favorite thing that i've gravitated towards has been grenache because i kind of feel like it's hot climate pinot and it's yeah we're it's making sort of some edgy great grenache yeah so we kind of i guess what's happening is we are moving away from the really massive blockbusters that yeah. were happening which obviously Grenache can get very big sure very alcoholic as well but you know when you're looking at some of the styles that are coming out now they're really fine light fresh yeah. um, styles rather than being hit with the you know oak and all the rest of it um, so there's some delicious Grenache at the moment a, um, lot, a lot out of the Adelaide like Adelaide, Adelaide Hills, Hills yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Adelaide Hills is it's booming popular, right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of natural wines coming out of there. Yeah, that's been my experience. Yeah. Just friends passing on stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and there's some pretty yeah pretty beautiful stuff coming out of there at the moment. Um, is Margaret River mostly? To me, that comes off as pretty old school. Like it's still yeah, really yeah, old school. Yeah, yeah but yeah. gorgeous and nice yep. producers and everything, but pretty old. A lot of not Chardonnay as progressive. Out of there. Yeah. Chardonnay, Cabernet. Um, I actually literally just tried a stem sev this morning from <laughs> from. Okay from Margaret River, which is still a thing. Um, it is kind of old school, I though, isn't oh, it? Yeah, so old school, yeah. yeah. Um, Semillon, obviously. I've had yeah. some, like, 20-year-old Semillons that were gorgeous. Uh, yeah, from amazing, from Hunter, yeah. But I've also had some two- or three-year-old ones where I was like, yeah, that yeah. was a bit early. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. If you ever get to, I've been to a couple of um, Hunter kind of tastings of, like, all the fresh Sem, and it, it, if you, you know, like, it's two days, and yeah. by the end of it, you're like, <laughs> exactly, by the end of it, you're like, oh, my God, I cannot have any more acid. Yeah. Um, but they're making some really, um, they are making some quite good styles now in terms of um, a little bit lighter and fresher and kind of approachable in youth, and, it, you know, to be drunk young rather than just kind of racy um, yeah. acid that's, you know, which is kind of weird because the other thing you think about with Australian wines, uh, the, the big mocha, sort of heavy and a higher alcohol, but really rich, big wines of, you know, the 90s, I yes. guess, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, when I, I mean, the Shiraz boom in America was my family's little restaurant in Philly. 
And I swear people just like to say the word. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, give me one of those Shirazi Razi things, you know? And, uh, and it was like, you know, you just couldn't get enough of the stuff, you know? I must say that still, there is still a demand for it. Yeah, I can Absolutely. imagine. Absolutely. Like, um, I think, you know, like any, it's kind of like a pendulum, you know? Sometimes you swing too far one way. And same with Chardonnay. It's, um, you know, for a while, it, I mean, obviously Chardonnay was quite big and yeah. flabby for a while yeah. um, and so the pendulum kind of swung but it's kind of swung a little bit too far for a while where it went to quite lean yeah. and like really you know acid driven and all the rest of it um, and I want and I often get asked here like oh, I really I want a Chardonnay like I want a, a yeah, big real, yeah, I want yeah. a Chardonnay old, a little bit old school not yeah. over the top yeah, but yeah, you know, exactly. some richness there so so what regions are doing the good ones you think right now I mean or is it more producer, you think? It's producer, definitely, mm. so depending. But, I mean, a lot of good wines are coming from Tassie, so a lot of good Pinot or um, Chardonnay is coming out of Tassie. Um, and they've got some really beautiful, and I guess it's cool climate, but, um, you know, climate change, so it's definitely Cool <laughs> climate Chardonnay is yeah, good. Yeah, exactly, so a lot of people are moving there. Um, uh, you know, but still, you know, Yarra Valley Chardonnay is still really popular. Um, Mornington Peninsula, people yeah. love Mornington Peninsula. Like, they will go literally pick a wine because it's from there it's yeah, got a they, very they good name as a region oh, I that's think. Cool. Mm, okay. um, but you know like classics as well even coming out of um, Margaret River as well people still really love a WA style and the big Barossa wines is that <laughs> big Barossa sure yeah has. the Barossa red still definitely people you do get like especially here in a business district you find there's a lot of people who still want that big rich style of, sure. of red which I obviously it's it's not something I'd gravitate to. I wouldn't drink it. And when I and we had a place that you know that stylistically those wines didn't really work with our food and our last restaurant. Um, and it's the first thing I noticed when I started here was like, oh my god, I need to get on some big reds. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just didn't have them. Like yeah. I, did, it's not something I kind of put on because it's not you know something that I would gravitate to. You got to um, pivot. But I <laughs> literally, like, I think the first week I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I call, the, call the distributors. <laughs> yeah. Like, who's got a really, really big, you know, yeah. yeah, I'll take that one. It's called Black Guts. Yeah, I'll yeah, take yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I think we'll have to swing back through when you guys are in uh, full motion. I don't want to keep you too long from getting set up, and i got to roll myself. Is there anything else you want to? Yeah, Say, drink mention? it. Yeah, vermouth. <laughs> drink lots of it. Yeah. Drink lots of vermouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and, and your your favorite vermouth producers? Tough call, tough call. Professore out of um, Italy. Their Classico is pretty delicious. Australian. Um, Australian. Um, yeah. There's obviously yeah, a couple. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, Australian made and I guys are great. Um, they actually make our house one that we pour oh, from cool. tap, so, um, which is a rosé sort of style. Um, and they're kind of really, I guess they're one of the first as well. One of the to, first people Yeah, to definitely. And it's winemaker it background, yeah. um, but also the Regal Rogue guys. So, um, and very different from Maiden Eye. Regal Rogue is very much like um, fresh, easy drinking style. Like it's made for a, you know, beautiful hot day. Mm. It's not made on to ice. be, it's not, you know, on ice. It's not meant to be, you're not supposed to kind of, you know, smell it and sniff it and think about it. Yeah, it's like, no, it's soda, drink it, you know. Hot day. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas a maiden eye is a bit more complex, um, so but there's lots of lots of people making them. So nowadays, I see more and more cropping up. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking of Castagna people, people listening. Like, what 
you know, where, which do they reach for, grab for? Is it like a nice, nice way to start the journey? People are really interested, though. Like, yeah. I people, people like the Regal Rogue ones, though. Oh, because they're an easy drinking, easy drinking one, drinking style, and yeah. introducing them to that style is kind of. I, I don't drink a lot of beer anymore, uh, and but you know, I'll have a beer after working in the cellar or in the vineyard or something, and then. I think it's a great thing to switch and just yeah. do a vermouth yeah, and soda. Right. A bit of soda. Yeah, no and tonic. V&T is really popular. The V&T yeah. is very V&T. popular. Yeah. And it's a great low alcohol version, I guess, of a G&T. So it's a yeah. great like lunchtime kind of yeah. something. And whenever I go out and I go, oh, I don't want to have too much of anything, like I'll, I'll always go, I'll have a V&T. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, I was spent a lot of time in Martinborough this uh, harvest, and I stayed with the guy who make, Chris who makes it. And yeah. He used to make his own beer and always have cool beers in the house. And then, like, I started coming back and I stayed with him, and he'd be like, uh, no, "Just gin and tonics, you yeah. know." And I'm like, "Fuck, I'm half in the bag by dinner, you know." Exactly, like which is after. why the bean tea's so good. Yeah, and then we started switching and yeah. drinking more vermouth because I was like, "Man, I'm like hungover for, exactly. for the pick in the morning." I'm like, "What the? I only, you know." But I guess I'm, I'm a bit. A more lot of out. the low alcohol thing is becoming really popular too. So a lot of people are looking for non-alcoholic or low uh, low ABV yeah. drinks and cocktails and things. At least so at an entry level. Because, you know, sometimes G&Ts, you just, you put them back on a hot day and oh, totally. you're three That's, in yeah. and you go, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I often switch somebody here from a, going for the G&T. They're like, oh, should I have a G&T? I'm like, no, no, have a V&T. Yeah. Yeah, you can have three of them instead of V&T. one. V&T. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm ready to hit Sydney now. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's true. It's the V&T. Get it's very popular. Morning, yeah. All right, cool. um, yeah, so... Well, thanks for doing this, guys, and uh, Thank you. we'll see you later today, and uh, hopefully come back for a drink tonight or tomorrow yeah, night. Yeah, choose one too. of the 40 different vermouths. To oh, that's a challenge. <laughs> no. Or three or four of the 40 <laughs> exactly. different Exactly. All right, guys, thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Uh, thank you, Rebecca and Hamish. That was very cool. Like I said, that place is awesome. If you guys are ever in Sydney, go check it out. Lunch, vermouth, tonic. Come on, it's perfect. Uh, but like I said, dinner was jamming too when we went in there. Um, you guys were so cool to let me drop in like that. Never met before. I feel like I got some new friends in Sydney, and I'll definitely be popping in every time I come into that. And thanks for the coffee. For the record, I came back. Uh, the next night, enjoyed and enjoyed a few of those house vermouths you were talking about. Uh, we had a great night and a great conversation in there. Very cool. So next up, we're talking to Chris Reed way back in February, I think it was. Chris is a good old buddy, and this was a good time to catch up uh, to see about him making his booze. But uh, I think the conversation does go into vermouth a bit because he started then, and he's since released his red vermouth. I went to an event in Wellington uh, a month or two ago where he did that. So let's talk to Chris. Tough times in the 80s, the Reagan years. Tough times in New Zealand in the 80s. Recession in the 80s. Wow. And look how far you've come. <laughs> I know. It's a struggle, but yeah. Uh, we are now live. Um, and look how far you've come since the last time we've talked. 
I just put Chris Reed dash two here because you're the second time we're actually sitting down. Was I down. your fist? I think you were my first. You were my, you popped my cherry, Chris. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, and somebody actually the other day, because I do get people occasionally saying, hey, I'm listening to your podcast. And some random uh, wine buyer said to me, oh, I just listened to your first podcast with Chris Reed. <laughs> and I thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna talk to Chris again soon. And um, and I thought, well, you're up to completely different things now. So Very different. you're just making uh, a little bit of Pinot now, and it's all gin these days, huh? Yeah. So we've still got the vineyard, but it's pretty small. Turn your phone off, then. Oh my God! I just complained to you about turning yours <laughs> off. So you um, but yeah, we set up a distillery by we. I mean, with my brother Stuart. Set up this distillery yeah, where we are right now. Where we are right now we're in the sweltering heat. Yeah, we're. Uh, you don't don't think you're always going to come to Martinboro and be in such heat, but uh, doesn't help being next to a still at a hot degrees. pot still. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, gorgeous day in Martinboro, and uh, you've got this great little distillery here right on New York Street, kind of amongst the vines and right in the middle mm -hmm. of all this uh, the Pinot tasting rooms and everything. Uh, can people come by and... No, no, sort of health and safety and everything else is just a bit too much. So if they they want to try your wines, they can just go to the many, many restaurants, that's be, or try your gin in many, many restaurants that are pouring it right now. Yep, yep. Well, we've got distribution throughout the world, not the States, but um, UK, Australia, and Japan. What... Uh, well, let's rewind a bit, man. When when did you make the decision? I know, I know you that you've always messed around a little bit with it and have a curiosity, but hmm. uh, I can't even think of when you told me you were starting to do some gin and yeah. how, how far back does it go? Um, so it started in 2013 when I was working in Burgundy um, and Stuart, my brother, was working in Edinburgh. Um, and I went over to Scotland and did a few distillery tours with Stuart and we... We're sort of looking and thinking, well, you could do this. We could do this. <laughs> Not many people in New Zealand are doing it. Um, so when I returned back to New Zealand, I started working on the distillery building and sort of saving up the money to um, to do it. Um, and it, it took us a good two years before we got all our liquor licenses and all our council approvals. And um, distilleries are pretty highly regulated. Yeah. So. Um, that's funny because in New Zealand you can make your own booze yes. for yourself for yep. personal consumption. I think we're the only country in the world where you can actually own a still and legally just make your own product. And yeah, you don't have it. to be a, a hillbilly up in the no. up in the, in the mountains making uh, making moonshine. You can actually do it legitimately in the, your backyard or something, but it yep. has to be for personal consumption. Personal consumption. Yeah. So that's sort of how we started. We're always sort of been homestilling since I was even a kid we've been homestilling um, so what did you use to do that what kind of equipment uh, just a small 20 litre still um, or like a pot still kind yeah of just a pot still copper pot a, still a condenser yeah. it's yeah. usually either a lab condenser or build a condenser out of copper or PVC or whatever you have the Kiwi way <laughs> yeah uh, our new one's a little bit different yeah I think I'm going to try to get a photo of that I do have one of it somewhere but uh i don't know if it had the fancy read and read sign behind it but uh i mean that's a that's a 
I mentioned if anybody can come by and check it out because that's such an awesome looking piece of machinery. It's very nice. It's gorgeous, man. It's so <laughs> cool. Um, and when did you, so yeah, after you got back, you saved up some money. When did you get that? So we got that in 2015 was when that arrived mid 2015. Um, and then we started, we didn't actually start releasing the products. We didn't get our license through until 2000, start of 2016 was when we first released the product. Um, yeah, and from there on, we've grown slowly but surely. And uh, unlike wine, if you grow a little quicker, you can make more. Exactly. Well, that was sort of the thing for me is the fact that I, as a winemaker, was, was the difficult part was I always wanted to be self-employed and have my own business. Um, and the reality is, is the expense and the capital cost for a, a winery and everything else just wasn't attainable so um, the distillery which actually just started out as a hobby project on the side from winemaking then actually took over a bit too much time and then I had to make the choice to um, kind of do the reversal where the wine has become um, more of the hobby and the, <laughs> yeah, and the, the no, gin has become the business I've noticed that yeah um, which isn't bad yeah no that's cool uh, and how much are you making now? Uh, so we, our batches, we do about 200 bottles per batch. Um, it's summer in New Zealand at the moment, so we're sort of distilling three times a week. Um, and it'll, it just fluctuates depending on um, export orders. and. Yeah, yeah. So without getting your, uh, giving away all your, your secrets and your <laughs> botanicals, uh, can you uh, walk me through the process? I have a little bit of knowledge of yeah, distillation, yeah. but I mean... Just to the average Joe, you know, out there, mm -hmm. uh, average Dan. So, so gin is a um, essentially the base of, of, of a gin is is vodka. Um, if you, if you take it down to the fundamental, the the simple blocks of of, of the spirit, it's a um, essentially a flavored vodka. Um, the main flavor in that being juniper berries. Does it have to have it juniper? It has to have juniper. Okay. It's, you cannot call it a gin unless it has juniper berries in it. Okay. Um, and then from there on, you can add whatever you want to to, um, to the gin. Most people, their second ingredient will be uh, coriander seeds. Um, but some some people don't use coriander seeds. But generally, as a general rule of thumb, people use coriander seeds as their second. Um, so we have... 13 botanicals in total with our, our gin. We have, uh, see if I can remember off the top of my head. Yeah, um, juniper, coriander, angelica root, licorice root, orris root, fennel, uh, cassia, nutmeg, um, yeah, cardamom, uh, orange peel, Three more. And then the three other ingredients, which are the most important ones, are manuka, which is a native um, of New Zealand. Um, kawakawa, which is another native, which is uh, the relative of black pepper. And horapeto, which is another pepper bush, um, which is almost kind of slightly more white pepper, slightly gingery kind of characters to it. Um, so our gin, we sort of, tends towards more savory characters. Most people, when they think of gin, they think of either citrus or really piney, whereas um, I think where my taste buds lean towards more 
uh, umami sort of savory kind of characters and that's sort of where we yeah go towards with our gin also that's um the botanicals the new zealand botanicals which is very makes important. it distinctive makes yeah. it more distinctive and so more savory. with that in mind like did you have in mind when you started the process that you wanted to first of all make it unique to new zealand and then how would you decide on 13 you know the other 10 yeah. you know yeah, so our, our goal to begin with was to make something that was uniquely New Zealand. There are a lot of gins on the market, it's very competitive, um, and there are a lot of gins that I think taste the same. Sure. They're, they're good, but they just taste like gin. Um, we wanted to make something that people go, well, this is actually different. It's still gin, but it is different. Um, so also having that sort of that New Zealand feel about it um, and something, I think, having that winemaking background, that whole aspect of sense of place has sort of been deeply ingrained in me. Yeah, I think you're seeing that, you know, with important. the, even the breweries, you yeah. know, and, and the going into the spirits now is, uh, I mean, the whole thing with like, I don't know if you know, Tito's Vodka and yeah. out of Texas was like, they sort of took the, the craft wine, craft beer thing and brought it to craft vodka. Craft. Now, I don't know how craft it is because I see Tito's <laughs> in every big. bar in America. <laughs> But uh, he's a cool guy from all interviews I've heard with him. So good on him for building a really good business and everything. But, uh, yeah, that sort of mentality of, of uh, doing. And now you're doing not just the main read and read. You're doing a barrel aged. So one. we do a barrel aged gin, which is aged in X Pinot Noir barrel uh, case. Um, same gin? or Same gin, same gin recipe, but aged for three months in oak barrels. Does that um, give it a little pink hue? Or is that so the it's part? a pink hue, and you also get slightly cranberry red, red fruit type of characters from, cool. from the gin we don't it's not very very oaky um i find if if it has too much oak then that, that it'll start lending itself towards more whiskey characters we still want to keep it fresh and have it as as a gin still recognizable as a gin um but just a little bit more savoriness and a bit more of that sort of vanilla or um vanilla kind of characters yeah cool and um, any plans to do any other ones? Or what could you do of, of anything um, uh, without giving away uh, your upcoming marketing ideas? Yeah. <laughs> no, at this stage, we're quite happy with the two products um, in terms of... It's probably keeping you busy enough. Yeah, yeah. It's um, in terms of our space and everything else. And um, Every so often, maybe we'll do a one-off seasonal gin, but um, at this stage, we're... You're busy It's too expensive to, uh, to set up a new product you know, in terms of... Labels, labels and, everything. and everything else and then the marketing and and you know we're still small enough that no one really knows about us anyway so um, yeah you put another product in the market it's well let me assure you chris after this podcast <laughs> viral <laughs> explosion you're gonna be getting orders from all over the world <laughs> uh certainly from the 17 people listening in hawks bay you know nice um so yeah so that's an act you know that how could you grow and and i mean that's the kind of the issue you have I would say, you know, I go through with my business is, mm -hmm. you know, how do you grow without extending your cash flow and without yeah. uh, diluting, literally diluting the product and everything. So, yeah. you know, phase one is you're in it right now. You're obviously distilling around the clock almost yeah. and, and you're busy enough. But if you look down, you know, a year from now, two years from now, um, what, what could you do or would you have any plans to? We've sort of our distillery... I estimate we can do about 30,000 bottles per year. At the moment, we're doing um, a bit over 10,000 bottles per year. Uh, so 
just take those busy times into other times of the yeah, year. Yeah, so winter time and, and stuff like that, you, you obviously have a bit more of, of a downtime. So for us, our biggest thing would be storage. So it'd be just looking at, at our storage options. And then, um, so I think we've probably got a good two or three years probably in this facility would be my estimate. But you don't know, you know. I'm with a, like a premium um, craft gin. Is there... Does it go bad at all? Like you know, outside when it, once when it's closed, not after it's opened or anything. Does it? Uh, no, no, it's it, it's very pretty stable. Obviously, you know, you, you could, I think we can all remember trying our grandparents' old bottles of spirits that are twenty odd years old and taste a little bit funny. Um, so that's a good example of when a spirit will go bad. But um, generally, you've got a pretty good. You're storing it correctly. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've worked behind a bar you know, my whole life. Years. Even if it's open, you'll have a I've never years. had a, I don't think I've ever tasted a gin, but I didn't know, a gin or even a vodka or something that went off. Yep. But um, I just wondered with, you know, all the botanicals and everything, if it would just sort of dumb down over time or yeah, anything? Yeah, so I guess sort of similar to beer and stuff like that. So things like UV can affect um, different things like terpenes and everything else that's aromatic compounds that are in, in, in the gym so that can would it get any effect. better like would you do i you think i think with a bit of time it's sort of like wine you, you can have this sort of period of, of sort of maybe six months to a year where it will sort of hit its stride hit, hit its peak and then it will stay pretty constant for a number of years and then it will yeah it, but then again it comes to a so that's probably promising for production in the sense that you know, if you see summer coming, you can ramp it up stop, stop the previous up. winter and, you yep. know, you know, make as much as you you want and keep it your, and that's how you can get your 30,000 bottles and have a, yes, more of exactly. a steady flow than having to distill. Distill it and then send it off. Yeah. No, we, we, we try and keep a good amount of stock on hand before, um, even though that's a bit of a killer on cash flow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, everything's just going directly to trade right now? Yeah, we... Because of our size and everything, um, we tr we were doing a few sort of direct sales, um, but because it's just Stuart and I, it, um, in the end we sort of made the call that just going to trade was the um, well. They'll love that, option. you know what I mean? It's like yeah. they're gonna have like this exclusivity, and it's a new product, and mm. the packaging's pretty slick on it. So who who d helps you do that? Uh, so local um, t uh, local couple. They're um, literally two minutes down the road um so they helped us design it called dusty and lulu um yeah great people so yeah you found they did, did a good job we man. try and do everything as local as possible yeah um as we're a small town so we try and keep things and do they are they involved in like the wine industry or something or have they done other designs that uh they've been designers for for years for for, for decades so um and then moved to melbourne i think a few years back from yeah. wellington and um and now get the talent here come over to the Rimitakas. Yeah. So in Martinborough these days is is there I don't know, Hawks Bay to me, I know it's you know, the region's like maybe a hundred thousand people and but having moved there ten years ago to now, I think it's like night and day to how much is going on with people Change. moving there and restaurants and yeah. events and everything. It was, it was it was a cool region when we I first moved there, but now it's like kinda lulled maybe around ten, eleven, twelve, but it seems like the last three or four years it's really um, picked up some steam. Yeah. Martinborough's always had Wellington right over the, the mountains there. Have you seen any? I mean, I know from Megan Wine here, like 
it's kind of picked up speed again as far as that industry but tourism anyway do you see it picking up more here or yeah well we're just um talking to clive payton from Arturangi, he was saying that um a lot of the restaurants and bars here have been saying that like even winter's been their, the busiest time they've had um so yeah it's certainly picking up um because it's not the foods like we're really lucky in hawks bay i mean we have to have more hats yeah. per capita for like cuisine magazine than yeah. anywhere in the country so it's sort of a little bit imbalanced as far as because we get that wine tourism through there but you get the wine tourism here and there's only maybe one or two yeah i don't talk fine dining but like cool restaurants you know what i mean yeah it's pretty like local pub and cafe kind of stuff um is there more of that opening here or uh there's a few sort of coming up but um yeah probably uh, we don't really have the population to to sustain it like hawks bay does yeah we're uh, i think we're at two thousand people within <laughs> the town so um and the tourism just is, is only and the tourism is just the weekend and, and if it's a shitty weekend those. nobody's coming over exactly. from wellington and stuff yeah. so yeah so it's, uh, so a different game yeah. but it does seem like it's like primed for it you know what i mean like oh it's a tourist town it's yeah it's built around Such summer a and cute cute town and uh but there seems to be a lot more sort of uh new generation sort of coming through like you guys um, like you and like Holly, us and, who and commute to wellington and say yeah. forget forget yeah. the well she does at least forget the uh i don't know if i was supposed to mention her name on this podcast sorry uh, I might I might get sued for that her being a lawyer and all, um, but I think you're even seeing that in the states too as people like maybe suburbs but also like rural areas they're moving to because the city is like just getting it's almost like the uncool thing to do and then in that sense makes it cool and it's expensive yeah yeah well that's that's what it's an, like an easier decision to do and if you can find a place like Hawks Bay or Martinborough where there's actually a little bit of culture and there's some artists and there's some good food and good wines and it makes it like you're not moving in the middle of nowhere, you mm. know, and it keeps it interesting. Um, you know, I noticed from uh, like Mara's point of view, who's from Italy and she's, you know, the place where she's from is just so rich in culture and stuff to do all the time and history and all that, that, three or four years ago she was a little frustrated with that in hawks bay and now it's like we got a lot to do like there's actually good music coming through there's all kinds of events all the time and it's like you forget like and of course having a child <laughs> keeps yeah. keeps, keeps, you, keeps you busy too but it has you know there has been an uptick so i think it's a, kind of a good time for new zealand in that sense but um well that's cool so mm -hmm. no big plans next just keep making your gin as best just you can no real big plans i think we're quite happy with the the markets we have i think most of our time now will be focused on um probably a bit more marketing and, and yeah, that sort of side key, right? which is the thing which we haven't had the time to do so um yeah probably doing a bit more in terms of events and, and promotion um because obviously when you first start out you, you have a bit of a, a climb because you're new and interesting and it's just trying to keep that interest keep people excited about what you're doing yeah you know um not just putting new products out every week or whatever to try and but actually sort of be involved in the community and be involved in, in what's going on yeah you're always going to have people that are i mean my family's had a restaurant in philly for 
25 years or something and there's still people that walk in and be like oh i've lived in this neighborhood and i've never been here yeah. before you know yeah. and you're gonna run into that forever you know it's just amazing and now that you're out of the wine industry do you uh or you know oh, yeah. sort of arm's length <laughs> from it i guess or you're you know you're kind of going into the gin like you said it's the wine's kind of becoming more of a hobby you're still working part-time around the corner um do you see a different perspective than when you were sort of a little more entrenched in it you know not at this stage no i haven't really seen um, you probably always i've always, I've always liked the wine industry i haven't really i've always enjoyed it so i haven't um yeah no i haven't will you have time to even go will you you know, you'll harvest your own grapes, but will you help some mates out or anything like yeah, that this yeah, year? Yeah, I think that'll be sort of the, the plan if, if someone needs a hand, then I'll step in. I'll step in someone could be we'll on see. the other microphone right now. We'll see. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, cool, man. We'll just keep it, uh, I don't know, anything else you want to tell people about Reed and Reed Gin? It's delicious. It's delicious. <laughs> And where they can find it. A lot of restaurants in Wellington. Who's like the best retailer for them to... Uh... Uh, so our main distributor in Wellington is, is Regional Wines and Spirits. But you can buy it online as well through our website, which sends you through to Glengarry's, but the order comes through to us. So. Yep. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Well, good luck, buddy. Cheers, I need it. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Oh, thank you, Chris. Thank you... Rebecca and Hamish again. Uh, so Banksy, Sydney, their website is very easy. It's Banksy.Sydney, B-A-N-K-S-I-I.Sydney. Uh, uh, I guess that's a pretty cool new handle they're doing now, .Sydney. And then Banksy Sydney on Facebook and at Banksy Sydney on Instagram. They seem to be pretty active on Instagram and Facebook. So check them out, guys. Go see them when you're in Sydney. Tell them I said hello. And Read and Read Gin is up on Instagram. They're always posting stuff at Read Read Gin. Uh, and you can always see interesting stuff Chris is doing. Take a look at that beautiful, beautiful still they have there. And uh, maybe if you reach out to him, he'll meet up with you in Martinboro if you're passing through. I am at Decibel Dan on most things like Twitter, Instagram, and WeChat as well. Uh, Decibel Wines on Facebook. And, of course, DecibelWines.com. Use the promo code DBPODCAST to receive 10% off your first order. And thanks again to CoreyWine.com. Next week, we're talking with Mike Benny. Gets pretty serious. Pretty awesome guy. Talk to you guys soon.